0: Our scripture reading this morning is Daniel 1, verses 1 through 21. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashmanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent and to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah of the tribe of Judah and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names Daniel he called Belteshazzar Hananiah he called Shadrach Mishael he called Meshach and Azariah he called Abednego but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is God's word.
1: Well, I actually feel kind of like we're ready to go home. That was so good, wasn't it? We are so privileged uh, to have all of the people, both who were here this morning as well as the many others in our worship team. They do a great job. Uh, if you see one of them, yeah. <laughs> So let me just add mine. thank you, all of you, for helping us to go before the throne and worship the Lord and say amen. Well done. So we're in the process of working through the book of Daniel. Last week we did an introduction, and this morning we're going to actually jump into the book. Uh, You heard what Kay read from chapter one. That's what we're going to work our way through. Several of you have asked me about, uh, we'd like to do a companion study in our Sunday school or something like that and I would just say uh, if you want to get advanced materials or something like that just shoot me an email and then I'll make some resources available to you. There are resources that are currently posted on the website uh, where they have you know the sermons as they're taught but they also have the the notes that I use Uh, that you can have access to as well as some other things. So anyway, if you just go to the far right tab on the website, the media tab, and go down to resources, then click on that and you'll be able to access some things that could help you if you want to go deeper in your study of Daniel. So one of the things that I did when I was at Collierville Bible Church uh, to the east is uh, I would pray with... Uh, a member of the house of representatives on occasion who would come to me and I was kind of like a chaplain for him and uh, this is a long time ago it's not someone currently uh, in the house and he made this statement that I thought was so interesting he said and he's a committed Christian it is virtually impossible to be elected without compromise is that true Is it impossible to be a committed Christian and be promoted? Especially when you're in hostile territory? Daniel is a striking example of a man who was promoted but without compromise. Now you might be asking the question, well, how did he do it? (laughs) Here's his seminar. If Daniel were to give you a seminar, he would say, And here's the kind of the outline of his seminar. Reasons to go rogue. Let's identify the landmines. You're going to face three conformity challenges. Test the tests. Nope. Draw the right line in the sand. And then fourthly, he would say, here's how God works. Trust the process. So that's what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go into Daniel's Stand Your Ground Prevailing Saints seminar based on chapter 1 of Daniel. Now, first, let's talk about reasons to go rogue. Reasons to compromise. And reason number one is what I'll call, or what Daniel would call, teeth on edge. In Jeremiah 31, 29, we read this. Now, Jeremiah is a contemporary of Daniel. Jeremiah is back in the land. Daniel, as we know, is in Babylon, 600 miles away. But Jeremiah is quoting God, who is making this statement of the people. It says, In those days they will not say again, The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, that's a proverb. What does it mean? Dad ate the sour grapes, but I've got this taste in my mouth. In other words, I'm being judged for something he did. Daniel could have easily said, And I'm being judged for something that I didn't do. I am reaping the consequences of someone else's wrong decisions. By the way, that that complaint actually has a long history, even in Eden. (laughs) The woman you gave me, that's why I did this. And the woman, the serpent, he's the one who did this. One of the threats for Daniel would be, I am going through the loss of everything for something I didn't do. Deuteronomy 28 uh, verses 15 and 41 say this, but it shall come about. This is all the way back a thousand years. This is Moses predicting what would happen if Israel turned from God but it shall come about if you will not obey the Lord God that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. You shall have sons and daughters but they shall not be yours for they shall go into captivity. That was was a prediction that came true and Daniel is one of those children. Now it is true according to this passage in Deuteronomy that parental disobedience can adversely affect our children if I don't do what is right as a dad my kids could suffer consequences and certainly that was true for Israel their rebellion against God made children suffer now in Daniel's case He was suffering, he was taken from his home, everything familiar, and thrown as a middle schooler, I guess, middle school, high school, somewhere in there, thrown into a strange place. He did have three friends with him, but as far as we know, that was it. What's interesting is though, in Daniel's case, this was not a demotion. God actually was moving him somewhere. In other words, God is not prohibited from accomplishing his best in someone, even when they're encountering the consequences of someone else's failure. And that was true in Daniel's case. He was not one who had rebelled against God, but he incurred the consequences. And because of that, he could easily be mad at God. Why do you do this, God? Second reason to go rogue is homesickness, being overcome by loss. In Psalm 137.1, we read, and this is a psalm that was written by those who were taken to Babylon, perhaps a little later than Daniel, but it says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. It would be so easy for Daniel to say, everything I remember that is good has been taken from me. Now, by the way, that's not true, but it could easily seem so. What difference does it make to try and serve God? (laughs) He could have easily, and this is kind of the Job challenge. This was the challenge that Job faced. Everything good was taken from him. His wife even counseled him, why don't you just curse God and die? because the temptation was so strong. Have you faced that temptation where something you value has been taken? And it's hard for you to say, I love God, when you've lost something. That's one of the reasons to go rogue is when you lose something. Reason number three is disappointment with God. In Daniel 1, 1 and 2, that Kay read, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, In there God was the one behind the scenes deciding, Jehoiakim, you're going to lose to Nebuchadnezzar. God did that, and it says, he's going to bring all the vessels of the temple to the house of his God. God, you're doing this. now Daniel if he drank that Kool-Aid, would not be alone. For example, this was the the challenge that Habakkuk faced. In the book of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk was someone a little bit earlier than Daniel, but he prayed, God, you see the rebellion in Israel? What are you going to do about that? And God said, if I tell you, you're going to struggle with the solution more than the problem. God said, I'm going to take... Babylon and I'm going to bring it to Judah and they're going to judge them and then Habakkuk did have a bigger problem in Habakkuk 1:13, he says this why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously why are you giving victory to these Chaldeans who despise you why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they Well, it would have been very easy for Daniel to say, God, you're not doing what I expect. This is what should have happened. How can you even do this? This doesn't make sense. Three reasons to go rogue. Three reasons why we are not devoted to the Lord sometimes when we're going through a this is not fair challenge. I'm being penalized for someone else's failure. Or, this is not good, you've taken away everything good. Or, this doesn't make sense, I don't know what you're doing. Have you turned from God or diluted your devotion to him because in your eyes he's not fair, he has not treated you well, he's not making sense? All of those, by the way, are lies that were heard even in Eden. Now, I'm going to admit to you that I struggle with number two and number three. There have been incidents in our lives where I've wrestled with, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. Well, Daniel would tell us in his seminar if he were here this morning, recognize the rogue, see the landmines, If you think God is not fair, if you think God is not good, if you think God doesn't make sense, those can do a number on your devotion to the Lord. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Daniel faced three conformity challenges. He could have said, I'm not going to follow the Lord with zeal and passion because of those reasons. He didn't. And then he faced three challenges that we read about in the text. The first conformity challenge is King's College. He was enrolled without his permission, I assume, in the King's College. Daniel 1.5 says, And he, Ashpenaz, ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the King's personal service. Now, to enter the king's college, which is the, the educational institution of the king, is to be immersed in a completely alien polytheism that includes exploring mathematics and glass-making formulas. We know this from ancient materials. But it also includes uh, omens, incantations, myths, and legends it actually, if you read some of the ancient documents that describe what education was like at this time in Babylon and in the Chaldeans, it sounds more like Hogwarts Academy than it does anything that I would want my children exposed to. Uh, a trinity of great gods, they had great gods and lesser gods, but Anu, Enil, and Ea are the, uh, among the top three, and then a whole bunch of lesser gods are woven into the curriculum. So basically, to be enrolled in the King's College is to be immersed in a philosophy of living, an education that is rife with exposure to the pantheon of gods and all manner of religious practices that would be clearly condemned by a Jew, and rightly so. What's interesting to me is I don't read anything That tells me that Daniel said, now about this King's College scholarship, pass. What? Daniel didn't say no to that? Hmm. Well, I have more to say about that, but let's look at challenge number two. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. So this is the new name challenge. To Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar to Hanani Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach and to Azariah Abednego. What is there a problem with that? Well, Daniel means God is my judge. I'm accountable to God. Belteshazzar means Belat who's the wife of Marduk who's one of the, you know, kind of the patroness goddess. Belat wife of Marduk, protect the king. So instead of a name that says, God is my judge, he's saying, Marduk's wife, protect the king. So every time you call Daniel by the name Belteshazzar, you're basically, you're importuning a pagan goddess to be the protector of the king. How would you like that to be your name? Hananiah, which means Yahweh has been gracious, Shadrach means I am very fearful, I'm a fraidy cat. And implied is I am afraid of the gods of Babylon. Mishael, which means who is like God, is given the name Mishak, which means I am despised before my God. God doesn't like me. And then Azariah, God has helped was named Abednego which means servant of Nebo also known as Nabo sounds a lot like Nabu which reminds me of Star Wars but we won't go down that side route they've all been given names which disavow their connection to the God of Israel every time Daniel was called Belteshazzar his name is an invocation of the patron goddess of Babylon How would you feel to be given a name that denies your God and your relationship to him? They didn't make an issue. Hmm. Challenge number three, new menu. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. Now, go to a new school... With a very dubious curriculum, new names that take God out of the equation, and a new menu. I realize you know from the book which one he chooses, but don't you find that a little curious? It's not a problem to go to this school, it's not a problem for you to be called something, but it's a problem for you to have some really good food. You know they picked number three, but let's examine one and two before I talk about what's going on here with number three. Much of what was taught in the king's college concerns what is abominable and had been long since banned in Israel. If you look at Deuteronomy eighteen ten through 12, it outlines how the very things that they were going to be exposed to were banned. But there's a difference, get this, there is a difference between understanding and embracing they were going to be enrolled in the college but they were not necessarily going to become devotees of Belat and Marduk and all the others. Uh, This quote from Baldwin, I, I love this quote because I think it captures really well what's going on. It says, these young men from Jerusalem's court needed to be secure in their knowledge of Yahweh to be able to study this literature objectively Without allowing it to undermine their faith, in other words, they've got to be solid. If they're going to go into a school in which they're going to be exposed to all manner of things, in order to get this sentence from—this is again from Baldwin—in order to witness to their God in the Babylonian court, they had to understand the cultural presuppositions of those around them. They didn't say no to the king's college. Because it was viewed as not a problem to understand how these people think. They're not agreeing with how they think as you will see through the rest of the book. But they want to understand how they think. They want to understand. That's why they're doing this. So they determined that their new names are not going to define them. You can call me what you want but my faith is going to tell you who I am as you will see in this chapter and subsequent chapters. Someday, by the way, Jesus is going to give us new names, which I'm really glad for since the name James uh, comes from the uh, Hebrew Yehov, which means supplanter, conniver. And so I'm not MacGyver, conniver. And I'm looking forward to my new name, whatever that is. And Jesus is going to give me a new name that is a Statement from Jesus, I know who you are. Well, their confidence is not in what you think I am, that is not who I am. Listen to how much better their God focused names fit who they are, by the way. Uh, He was called Belteshazzar, but Daniel means God is my judge. In other words, I am going to stand on the basis of what God thinks of me. His opinion is the one that matters. In the case of Shadrach, whose name was Hananiah, says, Yahweh has been gracious and they experienced the grace of God in incredible ways. Uh, Meshach, whose name, real name is Mishael, means who's like God, which you're going to see that throughout the book. And then Abednego, Azariah, Means God has helped, and you will see God help them. What you see as you observe their lives tells you what their name is, not what someone calls them. Understanding what you believe, even when I don't agree with what you believe, is not a hill I'm going to die on. Believing the truth matters. But I am willing to learn what you think and why. What you call me is not a hill I'm going to die on. Now, what Jesus calls me, that's what matters. That's what I'm going to live for. But the menu in this case matters? Doesn't that seem a little odd? What's the problem? Why did they refuse to eat some really good cuisine? which gets us to the third thing that Daniel would tell us in our seminar draw the right lane draw the right line in the sand some think that the menu problem is about the jewish dietary laws but nothing in context suggests that and when he says i'm not going to eat this or drink this wine was never on the prohibited list so even if you were applying the jewish you know dietary laws Why the exclusion of wine? Uh, Some think that the menu problem is about food sacrificed to idols, that he was saying, I'm not going to eat food that was sacrificed to idols. And that clearly is a New Testament issue in the city of Corinth. But nothing in context supports that idea either. They don't say, I'm not going to eat your food because of the implications as it pertains to idolatry. By the way, the vegetables were probably just as tainted as the other foods in Babylon. So what's going on here, all right? Uh, Dining together can be a form of confirming allegiance and agreement. For example, here's Proverbs 9, 5, and 6, which says, Come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I've mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. This is wisdom who's actually giving an invitation. Come, eat with me. And by that, demonstrate that you are thinking the same. You want to become someone who is a good representation of what I'm all about. You want to fellowship with me. Now, Daniel 1.5 mentions this expression. It says, they were offered the king's choice food. And choice food shows up about five other times in chapter 1, and it only shows up in one other place in the entire Old Testament. I'm going to read the passage for you. This is Daniel 11:26. 26. This is the one other place where and the, the, the term choice food is pot bog. And those who eat his choice food, pot bog, will destroy him and his army will overflow, but many will fall down slain. Now, that's a reference to a future leader. And this future leader is going to be betrayed by a group of people who are actually eating his pot bog. In other words, if anyone should be loyal, it was the group that is eating from the king's choice food. And even they are going to betray him. And actually, in the case of that passage, he's referring to something that has happened. We can point to it in history, what happened. So what's going on here with Daniel? He's not going to eat the choice food of the king. What he's doing is saying, I am not going to basically be in debt to you who is giving me this food from your table. To eat this choice food is a declaration of loyalty unquestioning, unconditional loyalty. Daniel and his friends are facing a challenge through their allegiance, and basically, here's the question they're being asked. Will you be loyal to God alone, or by eating his choice food, obligate yourself to supporting the king's future actions? See, to eat at the king's table, to eat his choice food, is to basically hear at some point I want you to do this. You owe me because you have eaten my choice food. I have made you someone who thrives based on what I have given you. That's what's going on here in the book of Daniel. It's a loyalty test. Will you give allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar that will trump your allegiance to God? By the way, that's our line in the sand, too, isn't it? There are moments, in fact, I am convinced that their moments are going to come with greater frequency and with greater severity when we have to choose will you give unqualified allegiance to God alone, or will you compromise that in order to give allegiance to men? That was Daniel's line in the sand. That's our line in the sand. There are moments where we must choose, will I obey God or will I obey men? And Daniel and his friends are deciding right now in this moment, we will give our allegiance to God alone. Daniel is, in essence saying, and his three friends are saying, you know, I welcome an education in what you believe. Um, I'm not going to protest if you call me by names that reflect your mistaken beliefs. But when it comes to the matter of my allegiance, I am loyal to God alone. This is a non-negotiable. By the way, in that statement, I won't get into this now. Maybe someday later I can tell you about it, but... uh, Daniel is actually reflecting, he's giving us a window into some of his upbringing and one of the three Old Testament books that were written as children's curriculum, uh, both uh, grade schoolers and then middle schoolers and high schools, uh, in what he's doing here, he's actually showing that he's been trained in that. Someday maybe I'll tell you about it. Daniel and his friends see a clear challenge to keeping the first commandment. The first commandment is God alone. And Daniel is saying, and that's where I stand. Daniel understands that pot bog opens wide the door to breaking the first commandment. And, and so he's saying no to at some point in the future having the king say, you've been eating at my, of my choice food. This is what you need to do. Now, I am so struck by this. How is it possible for four teenagers to demonstrate such courageous faith. I mean, think about this. If you took your your middle schooler, and again, I don't know, Daniel could be 12, he could be 20, somewhere in that range is probably it. We'll ask him when we get to heaven. But here he is at this age, he's taken from everything familiar. He's put in a place where he is basically instructed, will you follow this king no matter what? And he says, no, I follow God. How is that possible? So let's take a little sidebar a minute, and let me just you know, talk to you a little bit about some things that, again, if we have some time, we can talk about it someday. Uh, heaven, in heaven, you are going to get to meet the most amazing parents I think, never known. <laughs> will not it be fun to talk to Daniel's parents and say, what did you do? There are some clues in the text, uh, three of them that I want to identify for you. The first one is the names of these four children, so Daniel and his three friends, all gave them names that indicated they have a heart for God. Their parents, the parents of these four children, would have been contemporaries of Josiah, who was a king, who was getting it right, who had a passion for God. God said, as we saw last week, we haven't had a king like this since the beginning of kingship. In other words, he's right there with David. And so the parents, who were contemporaries of Josiah, named their children with names that say, God alone, God is my strength. God is the one who gives mercy. That gives us one clue. Clue number two is actually found in Proverbs 22, 6, where it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Daniel is a living example of that verse. And apparently his parents and others who were a part of his education trained him in the way of wisdom. Way he should go refers to the way of wisdom. Trained him in the way of wisdom such that When he went and served in the court of Babylon for 70 years, he never budged. He never flinched. And then, clue number three is that these three, uh, these young men, the three plus David, show clear evidence of having mastered at least two of the Old Testament books that are part of the core curriculum for children. I'm going to tell you about one the book of Proverbs was written for the training of a young man and a young woman to come into adulthood with wisdom. And in the introduction to Proverbs, he actually tells us, here's what I'm trying to do. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to discern the sayings of understanding. There is the book of Proverbs is designed to impart wisdom and understanding. That's its objective. And then when we read about the requisite in Daniel 1.4, what did these young men need to bring to the table? They were showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, same word, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, same word. In other words, these young men were actually stood out because they were walking, living, breathing examples of wisdom and instruction embedded in the book of Proverbs. And that was what got the attention of Ashpenaz. These young men show clear evidence of having graduated from the school of wisdom that Solomon founded. They've been thoroughly trained in the way. They will not depart from it. Do you realize that you could do the same? One of the things that we did in our family, I've asked our, our now-grown kids, you know, what did we do that was helpful to you? And uh, one of them said, oh, by far, one of the best things we did was went the Proverbs study. What is he referring to? So at dinner, we would read the book of Proverbs, but only six verses a night. And each of our three children knew that two of those verses were going to go to them. So, for example, I might say, all right, uh, child, son, daughter, uh, your verse uh, this evening is Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers before he hears is folly and shame to him. Now explain that verse to me. What is it saying? They might say something, and I'd say, well, you got the first part right. Second, still need a little work. Here's some thoughts. How does that apply to what you're facing in school right now? What are you dealing with? And we worked through the book of Proverbs that way, six verses at a time, with each of our children walking through and talking through what does it mean. And uh, they, they liked that so much that a year or two later, we did it again. I am reasonably confident, based upon these clues that we find in the book of Daniel, that Daniel was very well acquainted with wisdom and instruction from Proverbs, because the same words are used in both Daniel 1.4 and in the intro to Proverbs by the way the same resources that were available to Daniel's parents are available to us it is possible to raise a Daniel today are you? well Daniel says no Daniel 1, verses 8 and 9. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food, the pot bog, or with the wine which he drank. And then watch what happened. And God granted Daniel favor and compassion. Daniel drew his line in the sand. God alone. And then God blessed them in a remarkable and miraculous way. First off, would be if you were to give someone a, a, a 10 day diet. <laughs> uh, you know, let's say that you, uh, you put me on uh, water and vegetables for 10 days versus whatever you're having. I guess I would be juicing, you know, I'd be strictly juicing. Would 10 days make that big a difference? It's hard to imagine. But God decided, I'm going to go ahead and make a difference. And for example, when the king talked with them, this is verses 19 and 20, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. God granted them favor. God used those who will draw the right line in the sand and say, My allegiance is to God alone. And God chose to bless them in remarkable ways. The young men have clearly demonstrated where their heart is. And it reminds me of 2 Chronicles 16:9, the first half of the verse which says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Daniel and his three friends said, Our heart is for God alone. And God, who's looking down, says, Now that's what I'm looking for. And he strongly supported them. Do you realize that father is doing that right now in this room he's looking at each heart he doesn't have to do some kind of heart scan or something like that like a medical uh, process he's able to look at the condition of your heart for him right now and it says the eyes of the lord are going to and fro throughout the whole earth including this room that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Do we have the heart of a Daniel, God, alone? God, I live for your pleasure alone. God, I love you with all my heart. Then God says, I want to work through you. In the passage that I uh, just quoted, the First Corinthians passage, there's a prophet, Hanani. He's talking to the king, Asa. Asa's heart did not belong to God. I didn't quote the second half of the verse where he says uh, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, that it might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. And then here's the short Jim version, and you blew it. When he encountered opposition, he re- you know, relied on his skills as a negotiator. When he later became severely ill, he didn't seek the Lord. To such a one, Hannah and I explained the heart of God. He says, "I don't care what you're going through. When God doesn't make sense, God alone, and He will give you favor. When God is doing something that doesn't seem like it fits with your sense of what is just or right, God alone and he will bless. You may feel that God's given you a raw deal despite having sought to serve him well. But if you will make your devotion to him the one constant, that is when it pleases God to work through you. You could actually become someone God chooses to use in a profound and powerful way in a world that is coming unglued what I'd like to do would be pray, lead us in prayer, but I want to help you understand what we're praying. Do you remember the, the father who came up to Jesus and his son was not in the good place? Demons had been messing with his son. And this man, you know, said, Jesus, can you do anything about this? And and Jesus said, can I? The problem here is not my ability. The problem is your trust in me. And then the man said this, which is so good. He said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. So what I am proposing that we do is we pray a simple prayer like this, which is, Father, Jesus, we love you with all our hearts, but help us to love you more because we want to be people like Daniel who thrive in the favor of the Lord because our heart belongs solely to him. Let's pray. And if your heart echoes with what I'm saying, you declare it to the Lord in your heart as well. Father, Father, we love you with all our heart how could we not you've rescued us you've saved us you've saved us from our sin from ourselves and you've made us your children you alone are the one whom we seek to serve we are giving you our hearts 100% completely but we also acknowledge we need your help to love you more to serve you more. And so even as we're saying we love you with all our heart, we're pleading, would you help us to love you even more? To be a people who love you with all their heart and are able to prevail with your favor in a world that is increasingly becoming hostile to those who name the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for helping us in the name of Jesus. Amen.